Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Run for the Ordinary. I'm your host, Kristen. And if you are just joining us for the first time, welcome. If, you're, if you've been with us, welcome back. But if you are just joining us for the first time, this podcast is simply just a platform to give people a um, place to share their story about life overseas and what life has, has been like for them living overseas. So if you're here, welcome. Glad you're here. Um, I'm your host, Kristen, and today we have special guest with us. Um, Stowe is on today with us. What's up, Stowe? Hey, Kristen. I'm so glad to be here. Thanks so much for having me on the on this. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So pumped that you're here. Glad to have you on. Um, Stowe has actually served overseas for about three and a half years in China. Um, and then most recently, he did a trip that he traveled to five countries in six months, which is what we're going to be interviewing him about today. Um, just all about what that trip was like and the things that he learned and and the things that he did in five different countries in six months, which is crazy. It's a lot. Um, it so a buckle lot. up. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I'm excited to have you on Stowe. I actually got the opportunity to work with Stowe. Um, personally in, in the States for the last year. Well, not the last year, but for about a year, which was a lot of fun getting to getting to work and getting to know him more. So super pumped to have you on stuff. It's going to be a lot yeah. of fun. Yeah, I'm excited. I think we actually met uh, at the beginning of the, uh, the six months, five countries. And then it was super fun to, to work alongside you um, here in the yeah. States as well. Yeah. For sure. We, we've had a lot of history. Well, so would love to great. just hear, um, as we're talking about you traveling to five countries in six months, would love for you just to give us a brief overview about what you were doing. Like, where did you travel? What were you doing in each country? Were you on a team? Kind of just give us as, as best as you can, a quick overview of what that program was. Yeah. Well, you put it correctly at the beginning. It was certainly a lot, but, uh, to kind of give a brief overview, um, I was on a team of five people. So um, it was me and then four others. Um, we had three females and then me and another guy. And uh, we were one of three teams. We started out in Thailand. We did uh, two, maybe two and a half weeks of, of teacher training and cultural training. How do we, how do, we do something like this? But the, the overall goal of the program was to give us, uh, give us exposure to some different um, countries, but also to um, have us go and, and use English and, and working alongside long-term teachers in each of these locations. Um, just a, an opportunity to have people there um, for a month at a time and uh, have extra people on, on the ground, be in boots on the ground, building relationships with students and using English as a way to, to bless people. Um, and something that is super needed around the world for, mm -hmm. um, for careers and, and professions these days, but also um, just to, to love on people and encourage them and to encourage the, the long-term workers that were in each of these places. So we started in Thailand, uh, did a few weeks of training, and then we got to be part of an organization's um, kind of mid-year um, conference, like all organization conference. Mm -hmm. um, that was super fun because we got to meet people from all over the place. Kristen, I think that's actually the, the spot where we met. Yep. And then, um, our team got to do a, a few days of teaching, almost like practice teaching 
in Cam uh, not in Cambodia, in Thailand. So we taught in a middle school for a day, and then we went to a, a very small village in um, northern Thailand and got to teach at an elementary school for a couple of days. Mm. Um, but from Thailand, uh, we split up the three teams went to different different countries, different um, different routes. My team got to go to Jordan, and that was my first time going to the Middle East. Uh, definitely had all these stigmas in my mind. I knew. I knew deep down that I would love it, but I had all these um, just stereotypes in my mind. And yeah, gosh, I did love Jordan. And I think the <laughs> whole team, even though it was very difficult at times, we just fell in love with the people that we met and the, the culture that we encountered. Mm. Uh, after a month there, we went to, so we went from like a desert and it was warm and dry and hot. And then we went to Mongolia, the frozen tundra. And we got the tail end of winter there. And oh, that's a big, that's a big yeah. jump. It was a huge jump um, and uh, got to teach like a, basically a college prep course for a few weeks where we ran a program by ourselves. And then from Mongolia, we went to China, which was this sweet homecoming from, for me. I got to go and um, work in one of my favorite cities in central China, got to introduce my team to some of my favorite foods, got to, um, you know, shake the rust and uh, the dust off my, my Chinese language ability. Um, and then would you, would you consider up, yourself fluent? Oh, not even close. <laughs> but I'm pretty good at like ordering food and getting around and, and shopping. Um, and there were things that like, even like week three, I was starting to remember stuff. So when I first uh, my first week there, it was kind of all the stuff I'd learned my first year. And then week two, maybe the stuff I'd, I'd added my, my second year that I used a good bit. And then I remember the, the end of our time there, I would hear um, some of the long-term teachers use certain words. And I'd be like, wait, I've heard that word before. What's that? How do you use mm -hmm. that again? Oh my goodness. I remember learning that. So that it's like was riding a bicycle fun. just comes back, right? Not quite as quickly, <laughs> but um, close enough. So I'm hopeful. It's been a been a couple of years now. I'm hopeful if I do get to go back in the next couple of years that I'll be able to continue using it. And then uh, we ended up our very long and uh, strenuous trip in your former home, good old Cambodia. Um, so we went the from best. Mongolia to spring in China, and then ended in the very very hot hot Cambodia. So, yeah. How like how did you pack for that? Because obviously you went from desert to, I don't know if y'all know anything about Mongolia winters, but they are freezing, like so cold, so much snow. It's insane, ridiculous. Yeah. And then going to the heat and humid tropical Cambodia, like how do you pack for six months in a bag or a suitcase for all those different climates? It was actually pretty difficult. Um, but thankfully I feel like I pulled it off, um, fairly well for the most part. Um, you know, when you pack for different climates, you've got to one, rely on people's insider knowledge, people that live there, people that have visited those places before, but you also have to rely on the fact that in America, you have to wear different clothes every day and you can't repeat something like in the same week or your same couple of weeks. But in many countries, you can wear the same thing like every day or yeah. wear the same two outfits and just rotate them. Um, 
so that's kind of what I did. I took a few dress shirts. I took a couple pairs of pants. I actually ended up buying a pair of pants in, in <laughs> Thailand. I don't recommend that, but um, I was hoping to get something cheap and nice. And it was not cheap and it was not nice, but it's what I had to go with. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, I would definitely say don't take shorts because most cultures outside of America don't wear shorts. But I basically took a small rolling duffel and then had like, um, a, like a, a bigger duffel that I could turn into a backpack. Almost like a backpacking like a, bag. Yeah, something like that. Um, I didn't want like a hiking pack because uh, I didn't want to deal with like the hip straps or anything like that or yeah. a frame that could t- potentially bend or break while uh, you know flying and stuff. But um, basically, uh, I mean, mine was a Patagonia, I think they're called a black hole, like a 60 liter, just big old duffel bag. Um, and then I had like some, like a very small um, backpack that I could, you know, shove up into nothing. Um, you could take like a compression sack as well that could really get your, your clothes compact and, and small as well. So you can pack a little extra. Um, and let's be honest, yeah, shoes, you always have to leave you always have to leave room to buy things, right? You do. Yes. Um, I, so my big thing that, uh, someone told me while I was living in China is, is buy a piece of artwork from each country. Hmm. Um, because you can put it up anywhere in your house. It transports pretty easily and, uh, it's not super heavy. So you can find space, you know, a lot of times you buy it and it's on a wooden frame, but you can just take it off that wooden frame and done that many times when you get home yeah but i know y'all can't see this but but i actually have a whole wall of just that artwork and things from all over the world that i've collected along the way yeah packing was was a challenge um but i i was calling a couple friends that had done a similar trip um the year before me and asking them hey what did you take what bags did you take i definitely relied on my experience having lived um, overseas in the past and knowing that I could dress simply. Um, yeah. and ironically, I try to tell my teammates, like packs, pack as simply as you can, because you don't want to haul things to the airport. And, uh, the guy on my team, he had a full size, like basically 50 pounds of stuff that he didn't even use. Gosh. He just hauled it around. I was like, man, ship that thing home. He's like, I don't want to pay for it. I'll just deal with it. <laughs> which um, it's one of those things the same shirts yep it's one of those things until you live it like it's so hard to just take somebody else's word i remember when i moved overseas for the first time i was like how do i pack my life into two suitcases like how does one do that and then you get over there and you're like i don't need half of this stuff mm-hmm. but even though people had told me that multiple times you just it's one of those things you don't realize it fully until you actually live it yourself so if you're if you're listening to this and you're ever thinking about traveling you don't need as much as you think i promise you really don't when i lived in china there was a guy that um had some wise words um his saying was credit card passport everything else is optional i still would i would include phone on that exactly so that's the one edit i would add now because um you know, before smartphones, those were really the only things you yeah. needed and internet cafes were all over the world or you could go and get, you know, uh, what were they 
called the uh, Blue Planet or not Blue Planet, the uh, what were the little travel books? That might have been before your time overseas, Amy, Krista. Yeah, I don't know. But yeah, a, a smartphone where you can connect to the internet or put a local SIM card in it, your passport and your credit card. If you forget something else, you, you have the credit card to do it. Yep. Um, you need your passport <laughs> to, to get places, to get on planes. So those two things and your smartphone and everything else, don't stress too much. I would err on packing lighter rather than bringing extra stuff that you end up not using, leaving behind or yep. um, wanting would, to ship home. Would definitely agree. And then you have room to bring stuff back with you, whether it be gifts That's or right. keepsakes for yourself. And mm -hmm. you're always going to want room for that. Promise you that. Well, so would love to um, just hear, obviously you went to five different countries in six months. Like that's a lot of transitioning and a lot of moving place to place. And you said you were teaching in each place. And so I'm sure building relationships with people and then having to leave after a month, kind of walk mm -hmm. us through what that was like. Like, how did you process through the goodbyes and hellos and goodbyes and hellos constantly for six months? Yeah. Yeah. Um, certainly that was, that was the hardest thing was the good, like the relationships that you'd build and then the goodbyes at the end. Actually, one of my teammates, maybe one of the most outgoing and sociable people I know by country four, you could see huge signs of her just not being able to open up and connect with more mm. people. And by the last country, there were students that were asking her to, to come and do stuff and her going, oh, we have a team meeting tonight. And I'm like, I'm the team leader. I don't know about a team meeting. <laughs> Are you planning it? Cause I did it. <laughs> but I, I totally get it because I was worn down and you know, there's some organizations that they do 11 countries in a year. And we did five countries in half that time. And it was exhausting. Um, you know, maybe if you, if you do more countries, you have bigger breaks, more time to decompress. But, you know, the Thailand, we didn't make a ton of connections. We made a few. Um, most of the connections were with our own team and with the mm -hmm. other teams that, you know, went different directions and did the same countries, just in a different order. But in Jordan, we made deep connections, both with the, the long-term workers there and with our students um, and with other people that we met. And then saying goodbye to them was really tough. And then two days later, we're starting to meet more workers in Mongolia and more students. And we're trying to invest in them. And our team did a really good job. I remember going from Jordan, we get to Mongolia and we meet a student from the Middle East. And immediately we're like, this feels super familiar. We mm. want to hang out with this guy. Let's go to lunch. And then we find out that he's a believer and it's even huh? more, oh my gosh, what a cool connection. What a great story. Um, but by the fourth and fifth, fifth country, it was very, very difficult. Um, not only the relationships, but the transitioning of languages, the transitioning of different currencies, different um, things to avoid doing and, and cultures and the different responsibilities that we had as a, 
as a, as an employee, basically, mm-hmm. you know, the first month we kind of got in our groove. We, we had a couple different opportunities and then in Mongolia, our second country, our, I guess, technically our third country, we ran our own, you know, uh, language prep college prep course. And it was, it was great. Um, we, we ran the whole class, you know, our, our teacher, we had two classes and I was kind of the back and forth, um, you know, team leader trying to support my team, but my, my teammates did an awesome job. But then by the time we got to China, it was more sitting in and hands-on. And, and uh, I would say that the more, like, not only did things get tougher and we got more tired, but by the time we got to China and Cambodia, um, both those cultures are very stimulating. Like mm. a lot of people, a lot of heavy traffic, mm-hmm. a lot of strong smells, um, and it was also starting to get warmer. So our bodies were um, working harder uh, yep. to do the same thing. So that, that was really, really tough. But, you know, we got to, we, in Thailand and in Jordan, we were like learning the language. Mongolia, we learned a few words. I doubt my teammates learned hardly anything except how to order their favorite food. And then I think, Kristen, you taught us like how to say thank you. <laughs> That's the only thing I remember from Cambodia. Yeah, by the time y'all got to me, your language brain was just like, I can't, I can't do anymore. <laughs> Which yeah. I like, I get one language is hard, but that's a lot. Like, not only are you just transitioning people, but having to transition, just like you said, like to a different currency every month to a different language every month, to a different culture every month. Like in the Middle East to Asia, like those cultures are mm-hmm. so different. Like what was that transition like for you? Like going from Middle Eastern culture to Asian culture? Cause they're, they're very different. Like, do you feel like yeah. you had to kind of relearn things? Yeah. Um, I would say so. You know, I had a leg up because I'd been to Cambodia and China before, so I kind of knew what to expect. But um, yeah, I, you know, I'm kind of at a loss for words for how to, to even describe the differences. You know, there were certain things in the Middle East that you would do or, or not do, and then completely different things in, in Asia. Um, yeah I mean it was it was interesting going from a culture where you know it's very conservative and and the females on our team had to be very careful um, not go anywhere by them none of us went anywhere by ourselves at night but at night the the ladies on our team always made sure they had a male on their team so Cambodia you know we could basically do anything you know hang out at night and you know, we wouldn't go anywhere by ourselves anyways just mm-hmm. to, to be careful but you know me and me and the guy on our, our team would just kind of do whatever we felt like in the evening and then the, the ladies could kind of go their own direction and do something else yeah and um so that that part alone was was very different um i would also say that uh, using English was a lot easier in Southeast Asia sp- specifically because of all the tourism that goes on there than it would have been in like, Mongolia or the Middle East where maybe tourism is is less prominent. 
So it's probably a good thing you ended your time in Southeast Asia rather than the opposite. (laughs) Plus in Southeast Asia, there's a lot of Western food, um, especially in Cambodia. And that was a a welcome surprise versus being in like Mongolia where Mongolian food is a lot of meat and not a lot of flavor. And then if you want to get like more flavor, you eat, eat Korean food where you go to like the Western cafe and you're paying you know, ten dollars for a hamburger. Yep. <laughs> Man, yeah, I can't I can't imagine doing transitioning is is hard. Like it's not it an easy thing. And I yeah, props to you for for doing that and hanging in there. And I even remember like when y'all got to Cambodia, I remember your team getting there and I feel like I would be just completely exhausted. And I know y'all were exhausted. You've talked about that multiple times of how you were all just kind of spent once you got there, but like props to y'all for sure. Cause when you got there, it's like, I would never even know that y'all were just like done for like you got there and still had so much energy and were ready to just to love and serve the people that you were there to, to love and serve, which is so cool getting to see and yeah we definitely our our mindset going into each country was how can we be a blessing not just to the locals here but be a blessing to the team Mm -hmm. instead of coming in with well what can we get out of our time here and i think that that mindset was such a a huge um just game changer for our approach to things but you know honestly we got kind of rescued by a couple holiday weekends one in China, which was our fourth country, um, like halfway through our time there, we had like a three or four day weekend that gave us a, a bunch of downtime where we didn't have to work. We could let our hair down. It was, we were with all foreigners. We didn't have to use any language skills, mm. which language skills alone and trying to order um, food in another language is exhausting. And yeah, then we got is. to Cambodia and we got there and, and the team, your team was having their you know, one of your holiday retreats and we got to go hang out at a, a very small, like resort is the wrong word. It was more of like just a little tiny retreat center with a pool. Basically and, a resort. Uh, we got to uh, it's a Cambodian resort. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But we got to play games for like three days and just hang yeah. out and be in a pool and, and not have to worry about um, some of the, the cultural interactions and um, some of the work that that we would be doing as, as teachers. So that was a huge blessing and set our souls up well to finish um, to finish our last month. So basically just finding like little small pockets of mm-hmm. time for your team to just be together and be with other <laughs> foreigners that are like you similar um, and just get to kind of get away refuel yeah, refresh so that that's a huge thing where you you know if you can find those times when you're fatigued and down to yeah i mean definitely we were um stretched to our limit but after a few days away we were able to to bounce back and really to serve yeah. well which i love i love what you said earlier just about coming to serve and not to be served and i think that is so important when you go overseas of not going with the mindset of what can these people offer me, but really what can I offer them? What can I bring and and give of myself to be able to really give back to them and love and serve them with, with practical needs that, that they need and 
teaching is a huge thing. <laughs> like they, like you said, tourism, especially in Southeast Asia is, is huge and mm-hmm. English is a big need. And so y'all were able to like meet a very practical need, which I think is great. I think it's what you said is very wise and something that I live by. Try to anyways. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And even you know, going further with being a blessing to those you're there to serve, um, you know, especially if you're going for a short, short term, whether it's a week, two weeks or a month, like we did, if you come in with the attitude of, you know, how can we just be a blessing and not what we get, you know, the team that's being the host, like Kristen, you and your teammates, I know that y'all had the attitude of, we want to bless this team. We want to create a great experience for them. But, you know, you can't help in the back of your mind, man, this is a lot of work. Is it really worth it? But if you see a team come in and because I've been in your shoes, I've been in your shoes where you're hosting a team and you're going, man, I'm, I'm kind of excited, but I'm, I'm also worried that, you know, these short term workers are going to come in and, and it's all going to be about them and their experience. And you know, is it actually going to be worth all this effort that I'm putting in? So if you are both looking at it as how can we be a blessing to the other person? Mm-hmm person or the other group it works out really well for both sides and yeah. both people end up having just a, a marvelous experience and I know, I know that that was what we experienced and I think that's what your team experienced as well yeah would totally agree for sure um yeah well I know we've kind of talked about some of the the challenging parts of what that that six months was like for you what are, what are some of the coolest things that like, what are some of the cool parts of the the trip that you got to experience mm-hmm. of getting to go to six, five countries in six months? Yeah. Like, I'm sure you got to see and do a lot of really cool things. What would you say were some of the coolest things? Oh my goodness. Um, one meeting the people, eating some, some great food, eating some not, some, not good foods <laughs> as well. But, um, I love history. So learning history and mixing that with learning about culture was a huge blessing. Um, you know, going to Jordan and, and getting to see places like the Dead Sea and get to see like the baptism site of, of Jesus and, and you know, kind of dip your toes in the Jordan River, which looks more like a dirty creek in the desert than it does in many mm. of the films that we see, but still a, a super cool experience. Um, getting to to visit some of these places that we um, you know, read about in the Bible was just a huge blessing. Um, even if you, you know, we didn't go over to Israel, but we got to experience a lot of it um, from the Jordanian side. And then uh, we also got to go to go to Petra, which I don't think it clicked in my mind that that was a real place. Like I grew up watching Indiana Jones and like <laughs> the last crusade and, um, and that movie, if you're familiar with it, at the end of the movie, they pull up and there's this, basically this city carved into the side of a cliff and I that's in Jordan and it's this old civilization from like 2000 years ago or so and we got to go and and walk through that we didn't get to go like in the actual carvings and and find the holy grail itself but to to go and see some of that history and learning about the culture uh, was really fun Um, got to go see the great wall and walk on that got to go through the forbidden city in like this the middle of, of beijing and, and china got to go see angkor wat which is i think it's the largest temple in the world maybe it's the um, yeah some, largest religious like temple in the world 
Yeah, yeah. Wow, how cool that that place was. And I, I'd been there briefly before, but going back and having a little bit more time and, and spending it with teammates instead of um, basically just by myself um, was really cool. And then also got to go and um, learn about Mongolian culture, got to ride uh, a horse in the Mongolian countryside and, <laughs> and go into a yurt, or as they call them, go into a gear and hold a hold an eagle on my arm. I mean, just some cool stuff, learning about like Genghis Khan and, and the culture that they had there. Um, yeah, and then yeah, getting to meet really special people, getting to meet believers in each of the countries that we got to, to visit and seeing how God is, is just moving in different ways and different cultures mm-hmm. was, is just something that still just, just sticks with me even to this day and has me excited about what God is going to do in these different places. Man. So you're, uh, you're making the travel bug really itch right now. Yeah. Right. In the midst of, of COVID and right. You know, when was the last time you were on a plane? I think it's been over a year for me. Thankfully it hasn't been a year for me, but it, all the planes have just been stateside and, mm-hmm not anything spectacular. So we're definitely itching to, to get overseas and get to, yeah, just like, I think there's something so cool about all the things that you get to experience when you are overseas and the things that you've done, like how many, how many wonders of the world have you seen at this point? Like, I think what you just lifted off, there were what, two or three of them. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. It's insane. Sometimes it's amazing when you think of the places that you've been. Yeah. Just because you live overseas for a couple of years. Right. Which I think like is a part that we do talk about sometimes, but I think a lot of times life overseas can be very much like there can either be one of two sides of like, it's just really hard and everything's really hard and you don't talk about the great things often or everything's just great and dandy and you don't actually talk about the real reality of like, no, it's, it's challenging. And so I think it's so important to, to hit on both of those of, like you mentioned, like it's, it was hard. It was a hard challenging six months Mm -hmm. and you were exhausted when you got done, Mm -hmm. but the reward, like it, it, it's so worth it. And Mm -hmm. just even what you said of getting to see how God is moving in, six different countries or five different countries is so worth it. And so cool of like getting to experience both of those and mm-hmm. it's challenging and rewarding all at the same time. So. Yeah. Yeah. Something that, you know, one reason I wanted to go on this trip was to experience, you know, kind of the same God is, you know, do you have one of these places for me to, to go back and move to? And, um, Ultimately, I felt like God was telling me, no, not, not right now, not these places. Um, he had me be a mobilizer instead of a frontline worker. Um, but how cool was it that I got to go experience all these different places? And as someone who now um, tries to do recruiting and mobilization for these offices around the world, I get to, mm-hmm. I, I kind of have a little bit of understanding of the different contexts yeah. of these places. Um, and and in, even if I didn't do that, the fact that I can come back and um, meet with 
all the internationals around us, whether I live in a big city or a, a small city like I, I am now, I meet people from around the world. And, um, you know, the fact that I can relate even just a little bit to the fact that I understand what it, it feels like to be in a place where you kind of feel like an outsider, or I understand a little bit more, hey, your culture is slightly different than mine, but we can celebrate that. And that that's really fun. I really appreciate where, who you are and where you come from. So yeah, that's a Which, huge takeaway I've got. I think, I think what you were just talking about kind of leads in, into what I was about to ask, which is so much why this whole podcast is called Run for the Ordinary of when you live overseas, you get run for the ordinary. And when you come back, it's like, you don't ever want to live the same way again. Like you kind of just briefly mentioned, mentioned on this and, but what, what would you say are some of the biggest things of how you live now because of what you've learned overseas or what did you like take away from that trip of from six months Mm -hmm. that you still like that you brought back to the States with you? Yeah. Oh man. Um, I'll try to limit it to the six months, but some of this might be like overflow from like three and a half years before that living in China, which I don't know if you mentioned this at the beginning, but you know, I I was in China for three and a half years, came back to the States and kind of lived normal America life for five years and then went back overseas for six months um, before coming back to the States and and working with, with you and with others and, and doing what I'm doing now. But, um, yeah, some of the takeaways, I remember our team, we studied uh, this book, I think it's called The Celebration of Discipline. Um, basically, it looks at 12 spiritual disciplines. Um, big, th- thick book, um, lots of material in there. But uh, one of the things that we studied that one of my teammates presented was on simplicity. And so when I came back, I remember I, I went and, and uh, you know, I packed up all my, my things and put them in storage crates. And I was like, what, what are things that I don't need? I don't need all mm. these books. I can, I can use a Kindle or I can just have, you know, a few things that, that I keep. I don't have to keep and collect a library. I don't have to have the, the library from the Beauty and the Beast. Like, <laughs> um, that's not necessary. I don't need to have, you know, a walking closet full of clothes. I can, you know, maybe I want to have a few more than the two suitcases that I traveled in, but don't need a ton more than that how can I simplify how can I you know when I moved out to to Colorado and then moved back it was you know if it's not going to fit in the back of my little hatchback do I actually need it um so just trying to to keep that simple mindset in life um, has been a, a huge thing um trying to to be intentional with each day and I remember you know, I talked about that little retreat we had at the beginning of the time there in Cambodia. And that's kind of where I started thinking and praying, okay, God, there's one month left. Like what's next? I'm so afraid of going back to the States and, and, and sliding back into this life of complacency, complacency and a lack of purpose. And, you know, going and just hanging out with friends that look like me and talk like me and have the same type of job as me going to, you know, craft coffee shops and mm-hmm. you know, doing all my little adventures. Like how do I live a life that is intentional? You know, yeah. if I do go to a coffee shop, is it going to a coffee shop to be intentional with the people that I interact with and the people that I meet? Um, how do I, how do I use the time that God has given me 
um, to the fullest, you know, even if it's not, um, you know, working with an unreached people group in the middle of, of Central Asia. Like, what does it look like to, to be part of his great commission? Um, wherever he has me, whether that's in Western North Carolina, in Colorado, or somewhere on the other side of the globe. Yeah. So, yeah, those are a few of the takeaways. Um, some of them are hard to describe and, and stuff. And I think, I think it's so important. Like, I love how you just talked about intentionality. I think that carries over so much. I think it's so easy to, when you first get back to the States, like you want to apply all these things. Mm -hmm. And then as you just start to settle into life, you just settle back into life in America and American culture and you don't realize it, but then it's like the frog in the pot analogy how the frog just you boil a frog by putting it in cold water and slowly turning it up mm -hmm. but i think it it takes intentionality to continue to implement those things of okay these are things that i learned and i think there's value in them mm -hmm. and it takes intentionality to continue putting them into practice but i think it's so important and so cool mm -hmm. getting to see like how you have put those things into practice right. continually yeah, I mean, the first time I came back, it took me three years before I got involved with like international student ministry. And so when I came back after the six month trip, it was like, okay, how do I get involved? Who do yeah. I who do I need to call and email to make sure I get plugged in with with students? Because there's students from all over the world, any place that there's a university. Whether you're in a town with a few small international or you know a few small universities, or you have like a huge state school. So. yeah for sure well this has been so great still gonna gonna start rounding it up here but if you've yeah. been with us um you know what two questions are coming up if you're just joining us these are two questions that we'll be asking every person on here just to get different insight into what um they think so final two questions for you so if you could give someone who's thinking about potentially moving overseas, a piece of advice in a sentence or two, what would you tell them? Mm. Study language. Um, even when it gets really hard and it will get really hard to study the local language, invest in it. That's probably the biggest thing I wish I invested more in from the get-go. Before I went my first year, it wasn't until my second year that I got a tutor, but invest in learning the local language so that you can build relationships in that, that local language instead of just relying on, especially if you're going to be an English teacher, get friends who don't speak <laughs> English and invest in the language. I would totally agree. I think it gives so much honor and value to them as a people mm -hmm. of okay, I'm in your country. I, I don't want to expect you to speak English to me all the time. Because if you were in America, I wouldn't expect to speak to you in your language. Like, and But it, it, it's so funny. Sometimes I remember people, like they want to practice English with you because you're American. So I would have conversations sometimes that they would speak to me in English and I would speak back to them in Khmer, which is the language in Cambodia, 
but it it's just like no i want to i want to value you and and show respect to you but don't be fooled they will make fun of you and they will laugh at you for butchering their language because it's hilarious yeah, yeah. i mean it's hard especially if their english is better than your chinese or your kamai like it is so hard um but yeah, that's why it's sometimes it's easier to make a friend that doesn't speak English or their English yep. is terrible so that, yeah, you make mistakes, but that's the only way you can communicate is to, to speak their language and they'll, yeah. they'll, they'll appreciate it. I remember oh, for sure. Year, I would say hello. And I'm sure I was saying it wrong. In Chinese, it's ni hao. And I'd have people, you know, go, oh, your Chinese is so good. I'm like, that's the easiest word. And I said it wrong. <laughs> I just said hello. <laughs> no, but it's so true. Like they, yeah. one thing that I've learned is when you do even attempt or try to speak their language, like they, they respect it so much, even if you do butcher it, like they'll laugh because imagine somebody just butchering a word so terribly in English. It's like, it's just funny. And they're not like making fun of you, but they like respect it so much. And yeah, you hear that all the time. Like, oh, you speak so well. And it's like, I, I just said hello. <laughs> oh, yep. so funny. Well, last question for you. So um, because we all have them, we've all done it a million times. What is one of the funniest cultural faux pas that you have made overseas? Yeah. Um this one, I don't think I, it doesn't feel like a faux pas because I didn't realize I was doing it until I got back to the States. But uh, in China, I, I played basketball um, quite a bit. And some of the students, you know, all my students would get when I do something funny or, or silly or, or um, you know, play basketball and make a good shot, you know, once in a blue moon, students would go, wow. Well, if you add another word to that, which I heard quite often, it becomes a cuss word, <laughs> quite a bad one. And so I started saying it, not knowing it was a cuss word oh, until no. I got home talking to my, my American buddy who lived in China for seven years and, you know, was fluent in Chinese. And I, I said it around him and he was like, Stowe, you, you know, you just said like, a cuss word, right? And I was like, what? <laughs> I had no idea. Um, here I was like, you know, uh, trying to be a respectable professor at a university, just, you know, just walking around cussing on. all the time. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I didn't say it all the time, but I definitely said it when something cool happened, you know, and if I had just said, wow, no problem. But when you add that tiny little word on the end of it, it changes it completely. So. Oh, I'm sure, I'm sure you got plenty of stares from people maybe or they just thought oh wow like this this young american teacher he is cool like he he cusses right along so i don't know but not something i would have done if i had known so oh man yeah. the the, the joys of cultural, learning a language yeah the other uh cultural faux pas i was in jordan and uh if someone is like close to you and you call them your uh if they're like your bro you call them Habibi, which literally translates to like beloved, but Habibi is the male version. And Habibti 
is the female version. And I saw one of my closest Jordanian friends, or I guess he was um, not, he was a, he was from a neighboring country. And in the distance, you know, lay, you know, it wasn't late at night, it was in the evening. And I saw him and I was saying goodbye, like, oh, see you later, Habib T. Uh, I mean, Habibi, oh crap. <laughs> I just called him like my beloved, like girlfriend, basically. <laughs> so that's another one that was embarrassing. That one stands out a little bit more for when I was overseas versus a uh, little bit more embarrassing in the moment. Yeah. In the moment versus when I was back in the States realizing, Oh, I was saying a cuss word the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so funny. Uh, that is definitely the joy of learning a language, but mm -hmm. that's part of it. You know, you live, you make mistakes and you learn from them and mm -hmm. people will laugh and you just have to laugh along with it and move on and not make it again. Exactly. Yeah, hopefully learn from your mistakes. Yep. But with learning a language, like you have to be willing to just step out and go for it. Because mm -hmm. if you are shy and don't use it, you're not going to learn it. So. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Very true. Which is why in, in when I'm speaking to someone who speaks English, it's very hard to, to bring out my Chinese. But if their Chinese is, you know, if, are, if their English isn't very good, my Chinese is very good yep. because I'm forced to use it and I can be bold. But yeah, those are my two answers to your questions. Invest in the language and uh, make sure you don't say curse words. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks so much for sharing. So this has been definitely a joy and just thankful for you sharing your heart of the joys and the challenges that came along with going to five countries in six months. I think both sides of it are so important and it's definitely been a joy to, to have you on the show. So thanks for being here. Yeah. I, it's been a lot of fun sharing and, and thinking back and, and sharing experiences and a few, a few funny stories for sure. For sure. Well, sweet. Thanks for tuning in guys. We will see you again soon. Have a good one.